age, our guest tonight at 17, gave his heart to Jesus Christ. He was, of course, uh, raised in Nairobi, Kenya, one of 11, 11 children in uh, his family, siblings. And upon uh, receiving the Lord Jesus Christ, he came to the States, America, as an international student. I can tell you that one of the most dangerous places uh, today uh, for Christian young people going out of churches uh, is uh, a secular university. Great universities are wonderful, but students have to be solidly grounded. And leaving their home church, by the way, most students do not go from a church of this magnitude and this size. Most go from churches running 125 or 150 and go into the university. And many of the professors will often just tell you that they're non-believers or agnostic or atheists. And those students have to have something. And Chi Alpha Ministries is one of those ministries that we have on major universities throughout our nation, and particularly when our guest tonight Servo Lawali uh, went to um, Missouri State University. He got involved in Chi Alpha as an international student, getting saved, and just hook, line, and sinker. It wasn't long that he was hooked by the grace of God and the wonderful anointing and became a major leader and then served after uh, graduating with his master's degree, uh, served that university as a Chi Alpha director, and then from there, uh, has become uh, has become the the international director for uh, Chi Alpha Ministries for international students. Here's what he believes: He believes in the next ten years, international students just like he did, that comes to America, that he can reach a hundred thousand of them. Get that now: a hundred thousand international students who often come are the brightest, they're thinkers, they are major players as it relates to society. And when you reach those individuals, many of them come from royalty in certain parts of overseas. And guess what? If they happen to come to some of the universities that this man is involved in, they're going to have a good clear-cut opportunity to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Would you welcome Brother Lawali to Victory Church tonight? Severo, God bless. Thank you so much, Thank you, Pastor. Thank you for having me here, Pastor Dan. Thank you so much for setting everything up for, for us to be here. I am thrilled to be here with you. And uh, good evening from my wife and our four children. They've been praying for you. And so it's such a privilege to, to stand here before you and share what Jesus has done. I love missions conventions. I love coming to a time of the year where obviously you continue to live out missions, but I love coming to churches where, where you're emphasizing what God emphasizes. When you choose to insist on what Jesus insists on, that's the way I look at missions conventions. That's the way I look at the scripture. I look in the beginning from Abraham all the way to the end in Revelation 7 where there's every tribe and every tongue and every nation before the throne of God. The story of all of that from Abraham leaving his land to go to a place where God would show him to everybody that God has used, to everybody that you see in Hebrews 11, are people who have insisted upon which Jesus has insisted. 
And we, to, tonight and this week and next, next week, you will be insisting upon which Jesus has insisted. And so I'm so thankful that you insist upon that which Jesus has insisted upon. And I, that's the way I look at Matthew 28. Go therefore and make disciples. Insist on that which I've insisted. So that in the end, there'll be every tribe and every tongue and every nation before the throne. Amen? And so it's such a great privilege to be here with you. Pastor mentioned I'm from Kenya. I was born and raised in Kenya. My parents are still in Kenya. My dad was, was, uh, worked for the equivalent of the CIA in Kenya. Uh, he has a lot of secrets he still hasn't shared with me yet. And I'm not so sure I'll know any of them. And my mom was a teacher, and she taught in elementary school. And so I had, I had a spy for a dad and an educator for a mom made for very interesting upbringing. And so we grew up as a family of 11 kids. I was number eight out of 11, and so I had many sisters and brothers who told me what to do. In, in essence, I feel like I was forced into doing a lot of things that I'm really embarrassed about today. Family get-togethers are painful because they remind me of all those things I did. But my answer to them is I did it because there was, you know, I was threatened you know, by pain of death or something else. I grew up in a Catholic home. I knew about Jesus. I knew about God of the Bible. I could tell you most of the stories, but I didn't really know Jesus as Lord and, my, Lord, Lord and Savior until something very significant happened. We sent our oldest sister, Claire, to go to India. How many of you connect India, especially Northern India, with Christianity? Not many. My sister went to northern India. She went to study. She went to study accounting. She got radically saved. She got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And she, when she came home, all she could do was share with us about Jesus Christ and the love of God and how we needed to know Jesus. And so she wasn't really accepted very well in our family, but I remember there was something that stood in my heart that, that I couldn't ignore, that she really was changed. Jesus had done something in her life. Well, it led me on a journey to be able to try and find out more about who Jesus is. And I was an athlete growing up, and in high school, we were sent to boarding schools. It's not a school that has boards all over it. It's boarding where you go and you stay for a long time. And it's, they don't do that because they hate us. It's just the system we inherited, you know. In heaven, God's going to judge the British for all the things they left with us after colonialization. <laughs> and so I went to a boarding school, and in my boarding school, I remember being very popular, and I wanted to know Jesus, but I really loved the world. And I was in this tension, and every night, the words of my sister would always ring clear in my heart, that if I'm to become a believer, the old has to go, the new has to come, and I just was not ready to give that up, and so there was this tug of war that was going on in my life. But at night, in my bed, I would always pray, and I would always pray a prayer that I believe God gave to me, and that is, God, draw me closer to you every day. And I believe that I didn't have the capacity to pray such a prayer on my own. I believe that is something Jesus himself helped me to do. I was lost in the depravity of my sin, and Jesus reached down to me. I would like to propose to you that there are many unbelievers, even those who are completely, utterly lost, and say they don't want to have anything with Jesus Christ, but at night or in their lonely places, when they're reaching out for help, Jesus meets them. And so you can never really know where they are. But the truth is, this is not our idea, and Jesus is already working on the hearts of people through the Holy Spirit. Be encouraged, even the hardest people. 
Jesus is reaching out his hand to them. He loves them. And so I'd pray that prayer, God, draw me closer to you every, every night. And five times I had a dream in which God was answering that prayer. And I had this dream in which I'm carrying this big, fat Bible. And I'm carrying a big, fat Bible, and I'm telling everybody on my campus about Jesus Christ. And I had a joy like I'd never experienced before. It was so real that when I woke up, my friends, I was depressed because I knew I saw joy and authentic living and peace with God and a fulfillment of purpose for which I believe God had created me for, and then I'd wake up to the reality of what I was living, a life that was not anything close to what I dreamed, but I still had that tug of war. I wanted the world, and I really desired Jesus. Eventually, my sister invited me to her, to her church when I was over, over at home for Christmas break. She asked me to go to church, and I saw people worshiping Jesus like you were doing tonight, and it was authentic, it was real, there was a joy that came from the Lord. And the Spirit of God reminded me of my dream. And he asked me, do you want to give your heart to the Lord now? And at that point, I gave my heart to Jesus. I marvel at God. I'm a sinner. I'm lost. I deserve nothing but hell and the worst. And instead of hell and, and fire and brimstone, God gives me a vision of what it looks like loving him and living for him. Isn't that amazing? By his loving kindness, he draws us. And so I became a believer, and that was 1992 in November. And then I went back to my school, and the good thing about it is that I lived out that dream, and I carried a big, fat Bible. I just thought that's the way it's supposed to happen. Every Christian carries a big, fat Bible. I'm still saved. My Bible's a little skinnier now. And I shared with Jesus Christ with all my friends in high school. And many of them got saved and baptized in the Holy Spirit. It was so powerful. And up until that point, I didn't know that God wanted me to serve him fully as a missionary. And so I came to the U.S. to study. The U.S. has some of the best universities in the world. And you host about 100,000, a million, actually, a million 43,839 to be exact, if you want to know, international students from about 195 different nations. I was one of them. I came to the U.S. already a believer and like most of the other international students. And so when I arrived on the campus, I went to a campus where my brother was and he had decided to leave Kenya because he, was, he wanted to get a good education. And he applied to many different schools, Missouri State. Then it was called SMS. Some of you are familiar with that in Springfield, Missouri. And he came. He put Springfield, Missouri on the map for us. When I first came to the U.S., I thought Springfield, Missouri was, we didn't have the Simpsons back then, but... I didn't know there was a Springfield almost everywhere. We had a student from Indonesia who called and we asked, how did you know about Springfield? She says, I watched The Simpsons, and that's why I came to Springfield. <laughs> She's since gotten saved and baptized in the Holy Spirit, and that changed everything. Berliana, just for you, so that you know, Berliana is now teaching in China. And the amazing thing about that story is that she would teach at a school in China, and she would minister to the students and she would, she would have Bible studies. And when those students came to the U.S., she would tell them, go to a school that has a Chi Alpha group. And they were coming to our campus ministry at Missouri State. And in one semester, 20 of them gave their hearts to Jesus. This is what God is doing. So Berliana came from Indonesia. She got saved. We got baptized in the Holy Spirit. God sent her out to China. She's teaching. She's reaching out to Chinese students, come to the U.S. They get saved and baptized in the Holy Spirit. Some of them are in China, and I'll share with you a few more stories about them. Isn't that powerful how God does things? God receive all the glory through that. 
And so I came to the U.S., and my brother is a wonderful man, but he's still an older brother who does interesting things. My, I always thought in America the two things that I really wanted to enjoy was pizza and hamburgers. So when I came, he said, Where do you, let me take you to a restaurant so you can eat. And so I went to a restaurant, and, and uh, the restaurant was called Taco Bell. Do we have them here? <laughs> do you guys have those here? Okay. If you own a Taco Bell franchise, I'm, this is nothing against you. Um, but Taco Bell, taco in Swahili means but. So my brother took me to, forgive me, Pastor. It means my brother took me to Butt Bell for dinner. And the only things I knew how to order in, in America would be pizza and hamburgers. And so I asked for a hamburger, and I was given a really lousy hamburger. And so I just felt really, what is it about America and their hamburgers? Why are they so big on, why are they so big on their hamburgers and they taste so lousy? I had a hamburger at Taco Bell. That was my introduction to the United States of America. But eventually, I ran into some really amazing people. I got involved in Chi Alpha, and that my, I'm a product of Chi Alpha. And I got connected with Chi Alpha because I thought what every student did was you go and meet the campus pastors, and you interview them. And so I sat down with campus pastors, and I interviewed them. I told them, hey, tell me about your ministry. And they would sit down. They would indulge me and share with me about their campus ministry, what they do. And, and eventually I'd ask them, hey, I have a question. And say, what is it? Do you believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And they'd say, no, we don't. I'd say, thank you so much for your time. And I'd move on to the next one. And after doing that four times, I started really getting depressed because I wasn't finding a community of spirit-filled believers on campus. And I happened to be walking past the Chi Alpha house. I happened to be walking past the Chi Alpha house, and the Holy Spirit nudged me, and the Holy Spirit's really good at nudging. So he says, why don't you try this one? And I went in, and I met a man who was there, and I asked him my questions. I said, I have a question for you. It's so important for me. Do you believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And he said, absolutely. I was like, wonderful. Do you believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit? So I got really interesting on him. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, the evidence of speaking in tongues. And he's like, yes. When do you meet? He said, tonight. And my friends, that's why I'm here today. I got plugged into a community of believers that love Jesus, that were living on mission, empowered by the Holy Spirit to be witnesses on the campus, to reconcile students to Christ and transform the university and marketplace. And so today, I want to thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. Because as an international student, I could have come here knowing Jesus, and I could have walked away from my faith had I not been a part of a community like that. And today, there are many other students, American and international students, that go on campus, as this pastor so clearly said, that without, without the campus ministry, without a community of believers that are living on mission for Jesus Christ on the campuses, our students would fall away from their faith. Many more of them would never come to know who Jesus Christ is. And it's such a privilege that we have to be able to be that we couldn't do it without you. And so tonight I want to tell you thank you so much for supporting Chi Alpha. Thank you for the many Chi Alpha missionaries that you support in this area. I really appreciate what you're, what you're doing that way. In Chi Alpha, I got to meet my wife, Christina. Christina was, a, was uh, she's a freshman, I was a sophomore. She's the first girl I ever saw playing a bass guitar. I said, God, there's something amazing about this girl. I have to marry her. 
It wasn't that easy, to be honest. It took about three and a half years before all of that happened. But Christina had always loved Jesus. I always say about her, before I met you, you were already called. And I'm so thankful for her. So we got ordained together not too long ago because my wife has always loved Jesus. She spent time in the deserts of Niger alone doing mission work. She's been to Scotland. She's always loved the nations. And then God, when she came to the university, God was telling her, why do you want to go to a different university? I want you to go to Missouri State because I want you to be a missionary on that campus. And eventually he began to show her that, hey, Christina, you don't have to go to the rest of the, all over the world. I'm bringing the nations to you. And so she started reaching out to international students. And I'm so thankful I was one of the international students she was reaching out to. <laughs> we've been married for 14 years and, and we've, got, we've got four amazing kids. And uh, the oldest is 10. Her name is Imani, which means faith in Swahili. Our second oldest is, is Joshua. He's eight. And after Joshua is seven, the second and seven is six. And then there's Asali, which means honey in Swahili, and Asali is four. We're blessed. We have a full house. It's a lot of fun. Um, I, just, I just love it, spending time with them. I also really enjoy when they finally fall asleep. <laughs> God is so good. Thank you, God, for sleep. So we've got our four kids. We feel that and we believe that we're all called to ministry, the whole family. This is not just something that Savo does. This is something that my wife and our four children do. And so that is why I started out by saying, my wife and my kids greet you and they pray for you. And I love the way God works because our kids are growing to see what it looks like to serve Jesus. Our kids are really huge accountability. If my kids see me being different than I would at the pulpit or when I'm preaching at home, they'll say, Baba, that's not the way you are at home. Kids are very honest. They're very perceptive. But it's churches like you that help us raise our children to love the ministry and to love the work of God and to love the people of God and to love the God who has called you to be his children and to call you to serve him. And so I thank you again for, for how you invest in us as, as missionaries. I was at a graduation ceremony once. And then while I was at that graduation ceremony, I was sitting at the top. It was the nosebleed section of our, of our basketball arena. And as I sat there, I knew some students who were coming through to graduate. And as they came through, two of them I knew and they shook the hand of whoever it was there and they got to receive the diploma and the Lord began to have a conversation with me. And this is what I felt he was telling me. Savo, do you know that student? I said, that's really interesting. God never really talks to me this way. And I said, yes. And the next thing he said changed my life. He said, he came here without me and he's leaving without me. I do not know how you respond to God when he tells you things like that. And so I was quiet. The very next student came through. I also knew him. And the Lord spoke to me again and said, you know that student. And this time I know I don't want to answer him because I'm not so sure I can handle what's coming after that. And so he says, you know that student? I said, yes. He says, he came here knowing me, but he's leaving without me. And at that point, I learned to start seeing the campus the way the Father sees it. And that became one of those moments where God called me 
into ministry. Because he told me, and said, well, I brought you here, not just so you can study, get your master's degree, and go into the diplomatic corps, which is what I wanted to do. I wanted to be an ambassador. He says, I called you to be my ambassador. I called you to reach the nations for me. And God is bringing to us student after student, of whom each one of them, his desire is that they would know both American and international students. Specifically to the international students, I'll speak a little bit to that, and I'll share with you some stories tonight. Acts 17, 26 through 29, Paul is preaching in a place called Athens. He's, I think he's waiting for Timothy to show up. And he's waiting for them, and he goes to this, this place where they're talking about all these this, this, uh, statues to all these gods, and there's one to the unknown God. And from then, Paul talks to them about who God is. And he says, let me tell you about him. And he goes on to tell them that God is the one who determines the times and the places where people should live, that God is the one who sets all of this up, and he does it for a reason, and the reason he's doing that is so that people would seek him. Perhaps they'll have a chance to reach out to him and find him, though he's not afar off. God wants everybody to know him. And so God is bringing to us the nations of the world so that they can know him. I firmly believe every one of the international students that come to us is coming to know Jesus. Yes, they're studying, and that's an excuse to get them to the U.S. so they can hear about Jesus. Every one of them intentionally picked so that God can, they can know who Jesus is. Perhaps they'd have this chance to know who God is. You see, when pastor shared that our vision is to reach 100,000 international students. I'd say 100,000 is 10% of the international student population. And one of the things that I'd like to tell you is, I'd like to tell you I'm such a great man of faith and that I came up with the number 100,000, but I've learned to ask God, God, what do you want to do? And then he tells you, I want, to re- I want you to reach 100,000 within the next 10 years. And so even before I ever even tried to boast about it, it was not my idea. And second, 100,000 is still just 10% of the million that he has brought intentionally to know him. So we can't just celebrate that we have a vision that big. There's so many more that need to be reached. So my question that God has asked me is, how do you look at your campus? How do you view your nation? How do you view the lost? Do you see them with the eyes that God does? In Kenya, I was at a service once at our church. We used to meet at a stadium. And at the stadium, I remember sitting, sitting, sitting at the stadium, and God was really moving, and we would have, have an altar call. And we were sitting in the bleachers, and you'd walk down to, there's a, there's a track all around the stadium, and there were 3,000 of us. So to go to the altar was quite a commitment. You walked down a lot of stairs to go to the altar. And the altar was a dirt road. Basically, it was dirt. There wasn't, there wasn't anything on there. And so I'm wearing my Sunday best. In Africa, Sunday is a really important day. Even the unbeliever wears dresses up in their Sunday best on Sunday. So I'm wearing my Sunday best. I remember going to the altar, and it had just rained, and I'm kneeling down in my Sunday best. I remember saying, God, this is quite the sacrifice. You know these are my best pants. And I remember kneeling down, and I'll never forget what God asked me. He says, Savo, would you love the nations like I do? 
And I'd like to submit that to you as probably one of the things that I feel God is speaking to us today. Would you love the nations like he does? As the children of God, can you love the nations like he does? I want to share with you a little bit more about Chi Alpha, but I'm going to have a little video. We have a video I want to show you about Chi Alpha, and then I'll come back and share with you some stories about what Jesus has done. tested my faith. A few months ago, I was ready to give up. I have lost people that were really close to me, as well as being hurt by people I love. I know the Lord wants me in the missions field for the rest of my life. God showed me that no matter what is going on in my life, He will never leave our side. I'm, I'm never, never going, going back. back. I, I know that, that my trust, trust in God, God will not waver. I am looking at it as my mission field, and no matter, and no matter what, what happens, I'm going to trust in God. My heart was completely wrecked, and I heard the voice of the Lord speak clearly. God revealed so much to me. I know that he is making a way for me. I'm going to continue to do work with my Father in heaven. I know now that I am armed to do God's work. God shined a light on someone who brought me to Kayaf and my, my life has been forever changed. Not only do I feel called, but I'm now living in greater sense than all of God. I was created for much greater things than I ever thought possible. I will do my part in bringing on the greatest student awakening the world has ever seen. Our mission is to reconcile students to Christ. Join us in transforming the university, the marketplace, and the world. the Lord. 28,000 students, about 320 different campuses, Kai Alpha is on, and about 1,200 staff, loving Jesus, living for Jesus, reconciling students to the, reconciling students to Christ, transforming the university, the marketplace, and the world. Some of you may wonder, where do you get Kai Alpha from? Well, 2 Corinthians 5 tells us a little bit about it. And so we talk about in 2 Corinthians 5 that that it, therefore, verses, six, verses 17, if anybody's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this from, is from God, God who has reconciled himself through Christ, to us through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, reconciling students to Christ. We are those who are reconciling people to Christ. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he is committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you in Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. I'm Christ's ambassador, you're Christ's ambassador. We are all given the ministry of reconciliation. We are all compelled by the love of Jesus Christ to love, to reconcile others to Christ. 
We're all called to live a lifestyle in which we don't represent ourselves. Amen? 2 Corinthians 5, before that, it tells us how that Christ died, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but live for him who died for them and was raised again. We don't live for ourselves. We live for Jesus Christ. And because we live for Jesus Christ, then we continue to represent Jesus Christ. An ambassador has to represent the sending nation. If I was the Kenyan ambassador to the United States, I would be, I would, I would be representing Kenya's interests to this host nation, the United States. And as an ambassador for Jesus Christ, I represent Jesus' interests to the world, to a lost and dying world. Which is why I started out by saying we insist on that which Jesus insists on. That is who we are. We represent Jesus, not ourselves. The life we live, we no longer live for ourselves, but we live for Jesus Christ. Now, I remember being on the campus and having some of my, my friends that, that I played soccer. I remember playing soccer on the Missouri State University team. We were number four in my senior year, undefeated in Division One. It was a really amazing year. And Chi Alpha came out to our to our, to our games. And they were, they were having a 70s party, so Pastor, I don't know if you can imagine a 70s party. They were they got all this clothing and get out that they're dressed up in, and, and they raided the Chi Alpha House kitchen, and they brought pots and pans and, and a saxophone and djembe. It's a very in, eclectic grouping of instruments, nothing like your worship team. And so they came out to the game, and they were banging on the pots and pans and cheering us on. And, 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 our, and our teammates started asking, who are those guys? Who are they? They're very interesting. And I remember not even wanting to associate myself with them. But then they kept asking, and I said, I think they're with Chi Alpha. And so now I've already distanced myself from them. But when I got on the field, they would yell out, S-E-V-O! So everybody knew I was with them. So, uh, so... They asked me, oh, so you know them? I'm like, ah, yes, I do. Yes, I do. And they said, we really love them. They should come all the time. And I was like, yes, those are my friends. These are my people. <laughs> now I was associating with them. But it's a community of people who are living on mission, loving Jesus, and loving each other. My friends, we have nothing more special. The world has nothing to offer than that which we have if we live a life of living in community, a spirit-filled community that loves one another and that loves the Lord. It is so intoxicating. The soccer guys were some of the most popular on the campus. They were the party animals on campus. And I remember praying for them for a long time. But they saw my Chi Alpha group come out to the soccer game so much that they started coming to our Chi Alpha group. They realize that this is, this is authentic friendship. They didn't have what I, the international, all of them Americans, didn't have, even though they were in their own country. I had community. So they came to a Chi Alpha group, and they started attending our small groups, and they started giving their hearts to Jesus. And today, it's really neat to be able to see them as parents, raising up their kids, having known Jesus. Isn't that amazing? That is what God does. The true test for us of discipleship is 10 years later on down the road, are they still loving Jesus? Are they not just being discipled themselves, but are they making disciples of others? And that is the true test for us. And so we disciple students so that they can make disciples. They themselves need to be disciple makers. It's the same with the international students. 
Like I said before, international students didn't come here just to study. God wants them to know him. And if God wants them to know him, then we need to be the same intentional, as intentional as, as he is with reaching out to them. And so what I normally challenge our staff is God didn't bring the international students here to be your friend. Even though that is good, it isn't the end game. God brought them here to be his friend. The way they get to know him is through you. An author said that the way God works is to immerse himself in history and then to invite you and I to participate with him. He never stands outside of a story and hurls thunderbolts into it. We have to participate with God in what he is doing. So we were meeting in our Chi Alpha group, and a guy called Jack from China. Jack is obviously not his real name. And so Jack comes and spends time with us. Jack is a Buddhist, and he's very popular among the Chinese students. The highest number of international students on our campus are Chinese. On most of our campuses in the United States are Chinese. And so Jack comes to spend time with us, and he loves the free food, and he loves the music, but he leaves right as I get up to speak. And he continues to do that for a whole semester. And eventually Jack comes back, and he continues to come back, and then we, he disappears for a long period of time. A semester's over, and he comes back again. And then we started, our international students decided that they wanted to start a, 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 uh, a prayer meeting. And when your students tell you they want to start a prayer meeting, you rejoice. There's rejoicing in heaven. But there was not that much rejoicing, I must say, it's because they picked Saturday at 7 a.m. for the prayer meeting. We had our meeting on Friday night. I know you're thinking of me as being very holy. 7 a.m. on Saturday is, is pretty early. So, but the students were motivated, and so they set up a meeting at 7 a.m. And guess who shows up at 7 a.m. for prayer? Jack, the Buddhist, shows up for prayer. Why does the Buddhist show up for prayer? There's only one reason. It's because he experienced the love and the presence of God. And so I'd always tell everybody, like I said before, that God is always working on, on our hearts. This is not our idea. This is God's idea, and he's at work. He's invested everything into this. The Buddhist came because he saw love, and he experienced the word of God, and he experienced the presence of God. And so he came to a prayer meeting. He knew that when Christians pray, something happens. So the Buddha shows up at 7 a.m. And his prayer request is, can you pray for my dad's soccer club? I don't know how, what theology we have, Pastor, for praying for sports teams. I don't know if we've created one. I just didn't have any. And so I pray for the soccer club. And I pray the lamest prayer, God help Jack's dad's soccer club. Amen. And the Buddhist shows up the next Saturday, the same thing. And so now I'm really worried because I have to try and explain to the Buddhist why, hey, you know, what's up with this? Why are we praying for your dad's soccer club? And then he tells me it's my dad's business. He actually owns the soccer club. They're about to get relegated, and it means financially it's going to affect them significantly. And so then I say, okay, let's pray. So I add a little more faith in there, and we pray. And later on, during that day on Saturday, Jack came up to me. He says, hey, I just talked to my dad. I was like, oh, that's awesome. What happened? He said, well, I need to tell you the whole story. My dad and I haven't been talking for years. But I called him, and I asked him, how's the soccer club doing? He said, I'm rejoicing. I've been praying to Buddha, and God, we've, worn, we've won two games. And the Buddhist talks to his dad, who he has never talked to for a long time, and he says, no, Buddha didn't help you. 
You were praying to Buddha and you were about to get relegated. We prayed to Jesus two times and your team won. Isn't it amazing? And so the Buddhist tells his dad how it isn't Buddha, but it is Jesus. Jesus is so distinct. He's, there's no one else like him. There never ever will be. And he will share no glory with anybody else. And eventually Jack gave his heart to Jesus. I got to meet Jack's dad and talk to him about Jesus. What encouraged me was that Jack had been sharing his faith with his dad. And his dad said, Savo, if I could, I'd become a Christian. And so I said, let's explore why you're not becoming a Christian. And he kept on telling me it's because I'm a part of, I'm part of the Communist Party. And if I do that, it's going to be really hard. But if I had a chance, I would do it. I said, well, you have a chance every day. And then we gave him a Bible. And he went back. And I'm still not so sure where he is. But today, Jack is in Beijing. And he's sharing his faith with everybody else. And he's living for Jesus. Jack is going to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with others in ways that I will never have the capacity to. How's your Chinese, my friends? I don't speak Chinese. <laughs> I butcher Chinese. As a Kenyan going to China, I would really stand out. <laughs> but Jack is able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ in a way that other Chinese can hear and understand. And he's living it out for Jesus, making disciples for people, making disciples of, of Chinese people for Jesus Christ. That's what God does. Max is a student from Ghana. Ghana is in West Africa. I'm from East Africa. And to be honest, I must say a lot of times when I'm not bitter, but I'm just saying there's a lot of times where, where we talk about Africa and it's mostly with, with West Africa in mind. I'm from East Coast and they're from the West Coast. So we also have East and West Coast stuff going on in Africa. And we tend to be a little more laid back than the West Africans. West Africans have a lot of life, and it's really loud. Everything is amazing, and I really envy them, to be honest. I wish I was like them. Max is from Ghana, and he comes to our group. Max is a, so Jack was a Buddhist. Max is a Catholic. He's a charismatic Catholic. I don't know how your framework works with that, but he's a charismatic Catholic. He's so in love with Jesus, so baptized in the Holy Spirit. Through my theology for a loop, I just didn't know what to do with it. But he loved Jesus so much, he came to our group and he started leading worship. It was obvious that he had given his heart to Jesus. He really loved Jesus. He knew that God, Jesus is the only way to God. And he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so Max would lead worship. He was doing Masters of Public Health. And he graduated a brilliant, brilliant man. Max is, is, is accepted into John Hopkins in international medicine. Now, if you know anything about universities, John Hopkins is like where it's at with, 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 with medicine. And so he goes to John Hopkins to do his doctoral studies there in international health. And if you've never seen a man who loves a country other than his own, this will, this, this, the love of God for all nations is not for one people. So here's a Ghanaian guy who weeps for Laos because he went and did his research in Laos. And he cries over Laos, and he prays for Laotians to know Jesus. This morning, Jeff talked about Laos, and Max is praying for Laos. Every time I see a Laotian flag, I send it to him, and he's saying, we're praying for them. I keep praying for them because I love the Laotians. And so he was doing his research on malaria, and while he was there, he did a great job, did his research, and then he graduated, 
and the graduation, before you, you graduate, you have to defend your, 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 um, uh, your thesis. And so he's defending, and part 10 minutes of your defense is, is acknowledgments. You have to acknowledge. You have to acknowledge the people that have helped you. And so Max was wrestling with this thing. In, Matthew, in, in Mark 8, it talks about Jesus saying that if you're ashamed of me and my gospel in front of others, then I will be ashamed of you in front of the Father. And so he was wrestling with this. But a John Hopkins is not the place you get up and say, hey, I'm a Christian and I love Jesus. You can't do that. But what you're really wrestling with is this is, this is career suicide for us. And so he's thinking, should I share, should I not? And Max decides that he will. And so he tells them, the reason why I'm here, the reason why I exist, the reason I'm doing my research and helping children is because God loves me and God loves those children. And I'd like to tell you about the people who helped me. Can I have my campus pastor stand up? And then all these other people poured into my life. They led Bible studies. They helped me with food. And they did it because they loved God. And after he was done... In his defense, there was a Nobel laureate. This guy had won a Nobel Peace Prize. And he came up to Max and says, hey, can I talk to you in my office? And Max thought, wow, this is bad. He goes into the office and he says, that was great. I want you to come with me to Germany. And I'll sponsor you to go for a conference. And Max didn't know where he was going, to what conference. So he went to Germany. And while he gets to Germany, his prof that professor tells him, hey, I want you to do, I want you to do your presentation. And again, Max has to deal with, I've got 10 minutes of acknowledgement. Should I or should I not? And he does. He tells them about Jesus. Standing ovation. And oh, by the way, that conference was a conference for all the Nobel laureates that had done any research in international medicine. The former chancellor of Germany comes up to Max and says, Max, I'm doing research, and I'm trying to figure out ways to be able to eradicate some of the diseases in Africa for children. I want you to be a part of my organization. Can we have dinner? When's the last time you had dinner with the prime minister of, of Germany? <laughs> When's the last time we ever, I ever got in front of people that brilliant and told them about how amazing God is and for the reason that we live? That's the privilege we have. That's the impact that our students are having. That's why we're on the campuses and reaching, them out, reaching out to them through Chi Alpha. God has brought them here to know him so that they can also make him known wherever they go. Tonight, I felt really compelled to share with you those stories because in every one of them, it's people who have journeyed to know God because of a loving community that supported and encouraged and prayed for them, like you do. But it's people who have, as they journey to know God, continue to learn to insist on the things that God insists on. And so wherever they go, they make disciples. Wherever they go, Acts 8.4 says, after the church was scattered, they shared the word of God everywhere they went. And tonight I wanted to ask you, what does it look like for you to insist on what God insists on? What does it look like for you to insist on that which is so important to Jesus? As you're looking at the missions convention, we're saying, God, I want to prioritize that which you prioritize. 
I want to make it first and center of everything that I do. Lord Jesus, how could I insist on that which you insist on? Because I'd like to be able to tell you this. When you insist on what you insist on, the way I read Matthew 28, 18 through 20, is that Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. And he tells us to go make disciples, to teach, and to, to baptize, and he is with us. But so many times, I want that authority, and I want his withship, him with me. But I don't want to represent him the way he wants me to represent him. I'm not insisting on what he insists on. But I yet, I still want the power and the authority of God to accomplish my will. Tonight, my friends, front and center, what does it look like for you to insist on what Jesus insists on? In your life and how you live it out at work, in the marketplace, at home, with your kids, or as kids, how do you live it out? Financially, what does that look like? Because you know you have a big goal, and you're insisting, your pastor's leading you guys to insist on what Jesus is insisting on. That's why you're trying to raise $1.3 million. You're insisting on that which Jesus insists on, and to that, you put your best, and you give your everything for it. I wanted to ask us to stand up tonight. Because I believe God is having a conversation with us. And tonight, I feel like God is going to be able to put in your head, in your mind, in your spirit, an image of what it looks like to live with you every day insisting. Insisting, insisting, and persisting in that on what Jesus insists on. For some of you, that's really difficult. For some of you, you do not know what that looks like, and I'd like to be able to ask you to have a conversation with Jesus. But for some of you, this is new and it is different. And I'll never forget words from an Indian student that I was sitting with. And the Indian student told me, Savo, you know, I feel like God continues to promote us from one level of incompetence to another level of incompetence. And I laughed at it because I thought it was somewhat true. And here's what, I was, what I'm getting at. There are times Jesus will always ask us to do something that is beyond us. That is the reality of following an infinite, powerful, amazing God. And so if you've never experienced giving beyond what you've ever done, if you've never experienced witnessing at a level that you've never really experienced before, tonight I'd like to challenge you with this. Everybody in Hebrews 11 is somebody who believed beyond their experience. To insist upon that which Jesus insists on, we need to believe beyond our experience. There's always a starting point. And tonight is a good one. And so I'm going to ask you to stand up. And Pastor, I'm going to ask you to come up. And I'd love to pray. And I'll turn it over to Pastor to lead us from here. Jesus, tonight we've been here not to be entertained, but God, to hear that which you have done, what you're saying. And God, we want to be those who also insist on that which you insist on. We join in among the many others over generations, from Genesis 1 all the way in Matthew 28 to the end of Revelations where it tells us there'll be all those in front of your throne from every tribe and tongue and nation. Jesus, today we join in with you. But God, would you help us as human beings help us? We forget. I know I do, Lord. Would you help us to insist on that which you insist on? In every aspect of our lives, you are Lord and you deserve all of us. And then, Jesus, would you help us to figure out what it looks like to believe beyond our experience? God, I know for me it was reaching the 100,000. That meant believing beyond my experience. I've never done that before. 
And tonight there are those in this room who they've never done this before. They might do something that is beyond what they've ever done before. God, would you help us navigate that, Lord Jesus? Would you help them, Lord, speak now in your name? Amen. That's a volume. I mean, if you're taking notes, you got a passel of notes. It always happens under the anointing. I think, um, well, I think we, we have to do more. We really do. Jesus is coming. And uh, I'm just asking you to bow your heads. I don't want to ask you to take a moment to just let the Holy Spirit speak to you personally. And I think what I, what I heard is let him speak to you about what it looks like for you to sacrifice. Let him speak to you about how your life is framed to be the exception in a culture that's blind of what it means for you to be the light. How does that look on the job? How does that look in your family? What does sacrifice look like? If your children were to ask, what sacrifice look like for your mom and dad? Well, what would they say? Your children need to be a part of that. And then the other thing that I heard is, wow, the unbelievable stories that I had no knowledge of that God is doing and didn't tell me about. But through Savo tonight, we heard stories of what God is doing that's caused us to be moved by the Holy Spirit. And so let the Holy Spirit begin to reveal to you what he wants to say through the precious Holy Spirit. So, Father, would you gently, lovingly speak to every heart here? Whatever it is, because you have the ability to give individual messages, individual instruction, individual encouragement, individual inspiration, individual directives, directives, and I believe you're doing that now. I believe you're changing some minds about decisions. Some in this room and those listening online were making. And tonight, you're challenging them to change their mind, to make a different decision. God, that always exalts you. We lift you up and we thank you. We pray you would arrest us. If our attitude is not one that is a conduit of getting the gospel out, a conduit of opportunity to give and privilege, then help us with that, Lord. Help us with that in Jesus' name. Lord, around our church are thousands of people who do not know you. Let us never shrink back from the privilege. I pray in the name of Jesus. As we prepare to receive an offering and faith promises, I pray that you would bless them. 
I pray in the name of the Lord you would speak to our hearts and let us, Lord Jesus, flow in the Spirit by the precious anointing that only you can give us. We give you the praise and the honor and the glory. And then, amen, look this way. Savo is going to be right here, I'm sure, right after service. I believe that. If you feel the call of God to missions, or you would like to find out about Chi Alpha for maybe a grandkid or your own child, but if you feel the tug and say, I don't know anything about it, Dan McBride will be down here. Grant will be down here, I'm sure. Just come down and explore it. The only thing you have to lose, the only thing you have to lose is a question mark in your future if you fail to be obedient right now. Amen? Amen. You may be seated. Ushers, would you come? The faith promise card. This is a tool. It's not our enemy, is it? It's a tool. It's a faith promise card. If you say, I'm, I'm prepared to give, then go ahead and put right here. Name, check weekly or monthly, uh, and put it there. Starting in January and then going through December of 2018. Your cash offering that helps support the conference. Just give that cash offering. Put it in there and, and use an envelope there if you don't mind. Or, or simply put it here and turn it in. And then next week, I'm telling you, I'm telling you again, you're going to get more cards uh, weird. I don't want to stand before the Lord, I'm telling you, and say, you did a half-wit job of trying to get missions across to the church. I gifted you to pastor. I want to be able to stand straight up and say, God, I gave it to them with every barrel that I had until they about choked on it. Amen? I did it by the grace of God. I'm not ashamed. I may figured that out already. I am not ashamed to be able to push people beyond where they are at all, at all, because I just believe it. So be sure give your give a big offering. Some of you are here tonight, and I know you're big givers, and you have. But some some of you are in this service right here, right now, you're about to give a seed offering in cash because you need to, because it has something to do with what God wants to do with you in the next several months. So plant that seed tonight. Father God, we thank you, we praise you, we honor you. You love us and we love you. We pray in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. This is supernatural, has nothing to do with money. It's supernatural. Speak to all of our hearts and we'll give you praise in Christ's name. Amen. God bless you tonight.